going? Good morning, Raymond Terrace Community Church. Um, hope you are all nice and cosy there. You'll have to forgive me for looking a bit novel here. I'm having to wear a bit of a jumper simply because we've uh, we've had a bit of rain come through Moree, praise God, and um, it always brings with it a bit of a cold front, so it's a bit chilly in our house. So um, I, I hope it's not too distracting, but um, I've, I've really been uh, looking forward to bringing you uh, the good news, and I really am grateful uh, to Chris and to Aaron and, and all others in charge to uh, give me this opportunity um, to, to talk to you guys about how the mercies of God and how the sovereignty of God influence our lives in such a way that we are able to, to live peaceably in our communities, um, regardless of the government and regardless of the attitudes of, uh, of people towards us. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, Romans 12, uh, as, as I'm sure you've all been enjoying um, the, the lessons through the book of Romans. Uh, I've, I've been able to watch a few of the videos and they've been fantastic. I've learned a lot and uh, I've loved uh, the context that Chris gave in his first message, a gospel community. Um, uh, and in light of the incredible gospel message that Paul lays out for us in verses 1 to 11, in chapters 1 to 11, sorry, uh, this, this wonderful tale uh, throughout the history of the world of how God has made a way for people like you and me who were once enemies of God, hostile in mind towards God, as it says in Colossians, to now become children of God. But what now? What is the application? What is the call to you and me in light of that great gospel message? Ooh, sorry, there's one of our plants. <laughs> there we go. Ah, oh, gosh. Apologies for that. Hopefully... I don't know. Hopefully someone maybe can edit that. Um, yes, okay. Romans 12. Uh, Romans 12, 14. Uh, we're going to start by looking at... There's, there's two things that we're going to look at today, uh, as, as I alluded to before. Um, our response to our environment um, as it relates to... Uh, the people around us who aren't believers, uh, as well as those who are believers, but also towards our government. Um, in verse 14, Paul, he gives us this incredible call, an incredible command, one that almost seems impossible, especially given the context that is written in. He says, Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. And then he repeats it. He says, bless and do not curse. It's clear in Paul's mind, in God's eyes, a believer does not retaliate to persecution, but blesses his persecutors. That is an astounding thing to say. Uh, can you imagine being a, a first century Roman Christian reading this? For you and I, persecution 
is uh, unsavory. It's not pleasant. But we in Australia have not yet suffered to the point of losing our lives. The early Roman church, maybe if not at this point that uh, the book of Romans was written, definitely later on, their lives were being called into question. For a Roman to bless someone who was persecuting them, a Roman Christian to bless someone who was persecuting them, was to go up to someone who wanted to kill them and express the love of God towards that person. That is an astounding thing to command someone to do. Where does Paul get the audacity to do such a thing? On what grounds does he base that? We're going to look at two reasons why Paul says this. The first one, why bless someone who persecutes you? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You've read it several times already. Let's read it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Um, I'll repeat. Uh, Chris Thomas, what's the therefore, therefore? In light of the great gospel message from chapters 1 to 11, where we have seen Paul describe our state as humanity as being antagonistic towards God, rejecting God, and yet God in His great love and mercy, even though He's a God of wrath, who, pardon me, who hates sin, and He's going to judge sin, He makes a way for us to be brought back to Him through Jesus, in His mercy and His grace. Paul says, in light of that mercy, present your body a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual worship. What purer way, what greater way for a Christian to exemplify our Saviour, Jesus, than to love those who persecute us? What better way for a believer to live a life, a living sacrifice, than to die to yourself every day by going up to those who would like you to be dead, who would like to undo your life and to bear your heart open in love. The way Paul says they do this, how do we bless them? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The reason I think Paul puts verse 15 directly after verse 14, why Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Immediately after he said, Bless those who persecute you, is because Paul wants us to weep with our persecutors. He wants us to rejoice with our persecutors. He says it again later on uh, in a different light. Uh, he says it in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable inside of all. Insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Live peaceably with those who have done evil towards you. Rejoice 
with those who have done evil towards you. Weep with those who have done evil towards you. What does that mean? It means that if someone who has hurt you is hurting, weep with them. Mourn with them. Draw alongside them. Be a counselor, a comforter to them. If someone who has hurt you is rejoicing because of some blessing in their life, something good happening in their life, rejoice with them, be happy with them, celebrate their success. Our world in its divisive state and competitive state would love, we just love to one-up each other. Oh, I can't celebrate, I can't rejoice with them because I want to be better. Um, he got a promotion, I wanted that promotion, I can't rejoice with him. Um, she, she got recognized for this accolade. I wanted that accolade. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> think, things such as that, that, oh, something terrible happened to them. That's too bad. I guess that's karma. They had it coming, you know? No, no, that is not what Paul says. That is not what God wants. That is not how Christ treated you and me. That is not how God treats you and me. Even after we sin today, this morning, God weeps with you. Christ weeps with you. Your sadness is his sadness. Your rejoicing is his rejoicing. God loves it when you are glad in the good things of this world. He rejoices with you. Goes even further. Verse 20, if your enemy, okay, we've gone with the persecutor, someone who's done evil towards you. This is a straight up enemy, someone who is against you. Might not be because you're a Christian. May just be that they are against you. They just don't like you. If your enemy is hungry, you feed them. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. This is an act of mercy. This is an act of grace akin to that that God has poured out on us through Jesus. Jesus, when he was on this world, he fed the hungry. He gave water to the thirsty. When he went up to the Samaritan woman on the well, if you aren't familiar with the context of that story, a Samaritan and a Jew did not associate Jesus, a Jewish man, showing charity and love and consideration to a Samaritan woman, uh, ethnically enemies. But Jesus, his concern, and this is the heart of, of Romans 12, um, uh, 14 to 19. This is the heart of it. Uh, God's Christ concern is salvation of unbelievers, salvation of enemies, people being brought into the fold, into the family of God. So that is one of the, the, the themes in this because we just see it in the life of Christ, how he loved his enemies when he was dying on the cross, those who were persecuting, who were hurling insults at him, what did he say in regards to them? He had no spite towards them. 
no animosity towards him. He simply said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. This is the heart of the Saviour. These are the mercies of God towards you and me, that we might show them to those around us. The other theme, the other um, the, the, uh, motivation, you could say, in this passage is the flip side. And the gospel is a two-sided coin. I guess you could look at it as, a, as this coaster here. Here you have the gospel message of mercy. Sinners saved by grace. But on the other side, you have God's hatred of sin. God only loves what is pure. He hates sin and he will judge sin. But in Christ, he has made a way for us to be forgiven. But outside of Christ, there is judgment. And this is what we read in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why? We've talked about the mercies of God. To love, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. To give food to your enemy if they're hungry. But this is another reason. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it. Leave it to what? Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is God's. I will repay, says the Lord. God is a God of wrath. So says verse 19. He's a God of mercy, yes, but he's also a God of wrath. Dear brother, dear sister, I know that as human beings in this world, you, like myself, have experienced pain, have experienced trauma at the hands of persecutors, of enemies, even other believers, but definitely at the hands of those who have no regard for Christ, have no regard for you. Family members, uh, who have, who you should have been able to trust have broken your heart have left you questioning where you stood with them this whole time how someone so close to you could do something so terrible friends at school who you valued whose words mean a lot to you tear you down for no reason Colleagues at work belittle you. You're never good enough. Could be because you're a Christian. Could just be because they don't like you. We all experience pain in this world. And it is our natural tendency to react with bitterness and hatred. To want to return evil for evil. I know I have. I have hated someone so much to the point that whether they lived or died made no difference to me. But, as I believe comes with every Christian, God comes to the heart of a believer and he says, I will let you mourn and I will mourn with you. I will let you weep and I will weep with you. But this bitterness... This burden that you carry, 
This is the line that I draw. This is the line that God draws. He calls us to leave it to the wrath of God. That is not your burden to carry. That is not my burden to carry. Jesus, when he went to the cross, 2 Peter, this verse means so much to me in light uh, of Romans 12. 1 Peter, sorry, chapter 2, verse 23. Though he was reviled, actually let's turn to it as a church. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Verse 23 from the ESV. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered as a result of the actions of men, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, through whom everything was made, for whom everything was made, in whom everything holds together. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he could have threatened, but he exercised meekness. He did not threaten. Of course it hurt. To be brutalized and experiencing malicious torture at the hands of those you created. It's terrible. But he continued, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And here... Uh, I want you to hold that thought in tandem with Romans 12. Because I know as well as anyone that the act of laying something down at the foot of the cross is not a one-off decision. You are to continue. To continue. To entrust ourselves. To God who judges justly. God will judge the whole world one day through Christ. The whole world will come, will be brought into question. Our actions, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, have had God's judgment and wrath poured out on him. Our judgment, our punishment poured out on Christ. For those who have not accepted Jesus, still in the way of experiencing that wrath and judgment. This is what God refers to. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I will repay. It is a promise. Vengeance belongs to God, not you, not me. Let it go. Release it to the one who will repay. Either on the cross in Jesus as they bring this person to God, to, as, as they bring this, as, as God brings this person who has hurt you, who has hurt me, to an understanding of Jesus so that they repent 
And then there is an opportunity for reconciliation as you heal, as you lay your burdens before God and they recognize their wrong and ask for your forgiveness and reconciliation. And there can be beauty and harmony and God will be glorified in that. God can repay in that way or at the end of their life if they don't if they don't give their life to Christ there will be repayment dear brother dear sister let it go is not our burden to carry Jesus told his disciples and by default he tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because in comparison Jesus's yoke Jesus's burden is not one of bitterness of resentment He carries that for us. What he calls us to carry is a yoke, is a burden to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to love those who hate us. The call of Romans 12, verse 9, uh, sorry, verse 14 to 20, is one to trust in God. To not be overcome by evil, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. To not be conformed to this world and its bitterness and its retaliation sentimentality, its its vindictive mentality. Um, But to entrust ourselves to Jesus. To put our faith in Jesus. Paul's call here. He's not being naive. He understands We aren't to just duck and cover and try to be nice to people and avoid that persecution and that suffering. It's going to come anyway. Paul says, as so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Be bold in showing love to those who hate you. Ask God for that strength. Ask God to carry you through that. And you will see him transform your life in ways you didn't know he could. God healed me from terrible hatred. From terrible bitterness. To a place where I'm able to love uh, some of these people who have done wrong to me. And it is a continual entrusting myself. New people come into our lives every time. Who hurt us in a fresh new way. And it's time for us to again entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. But what about judgment in this life? What about judgment in this world? Well, God has an answer for that too. If it's okay with you, I know it's a heavy thing to consider, but if we can look, um, so it's a heavy thing to move on from, but if we can look at Romans 13, Romans 13, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Again, a hard-hitting, convicting command. Bless those who persecute you. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority, verse 1 still, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed 
and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger. See the theme carrying there, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Just let that marinate. While I wet my throat. There is a lot, there is a lot in this passage that we could talk about. But for the sake of time, I'm afraid I'm going to have to uh, skip over some things. Uh, It's true that there are evil rulers in this world. Has God instituted them too? Well, according to Romans 13 verse 1, yes. Yes and yes. That word instituted is a very hands-on approach. God has not just simply forgotten about Australia or forgotten about some of the third world countries in the world that are experiencing terrible governments or even some first world nations that are experiencing uh, terrible governments. God has not forgotten about them. He has not lost hold of the reins. He is still in control. He is still God and Lord of all. So why does God allow for evil rulers to exist? Uh, This is something that I'm afraid we don't have too much time to get into, but as far as I can tell, as far as I can say, that God is glorified through evil rulers as well. At the time that Paul wrote this, Paul is not being naive, by the way, for at the time that he wrote this, one of the worst uh, rulers, as so far as it relates to Christians, one of the worst rulers ever in world history, is in charge of the nation that Paul is held captive in. Emperor Nero, hated, hated, hated Christians. Uh, Whether he simply saw them as a scapegoat for some of the troubles in his empire, uh, I'm not sure. But he is responsible for some of the worst atrocities committed against the church. Uh, It is uh, widely regarded that he would have Christians... um, he would have Christians sewn into animal skins and then have them hunted down by wild dogs. He would have Christians set into the uh, Colosseum to be torn apart by wild animals. He would have uh, Christians put uh, uh, dipped in tar and then lit on fire as massive human candles for his parties. A vile man especially towards Christians. And yet this is the man that's ruling at the time that Paul writes, all authorities, all authorities have been instituted by God. Now, if Paul was simply writing from his own mind, he would be crazy, surely. If Paul was only writing from his own mind, he would have said something like, only the wise are instituted by God. Something like that. This is an incredible thing. 
for Paul to say, and it's just an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in Paul to say that even the worst of the worst are under the control of God and not outside of God's sovereignty. That's not to say that God loves and desires evil. It's just that evil does not exist outside of God's control. There is no fight between good and evil in that sense God has won the victory in Jesus. It is now just a matter of time to glorify Christ to the fullest extent. So going back to the question, why does God allow for evil rulers? In the examples that we see in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament with Nero, we can see how God uses evil rulers to show that man is powerless to defeat God when God wants to do something. We can think of uh, uh, Nero's desire to crush Christians in Rome. Did it work? Not at all. Rome became an incredible vessel to take the gospel, take Christianity across the world. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he wanted to kill Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the king of Babylon at the time, wanted to kill these three Jewish men who held on to God so tight that they would not bow down to the idol the king had put forward even if it meant getting thrown into the furnace. Their response, we believe that God can save us from the furnace, O King. We believe that God can save us from the fire that you have condemned us to. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. And God delivered those men and showed the King of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world, that he is powerless to stop what God has set forth to do. That is the, the, the best idea I can put forward in the time that I have at the moment, sorry, as to why God would allow evil rulers to exist. We have them in our world today. The men in charge of China who hate Christianity. And yet the Christian church is flourishing in that hostile environment. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that's enough of that. Why does God establish governments? Well, what is the need for government? We see that in verse 2 that disobeying government is equal to rejecting God's order so long as the government isn't telling you to sin. That's an important footnote. and We'll get to that in a second. So what then is the need for government? Verses 3 to 4, we read, Rulers, sorry, not again. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Would, uh, as another way of saying, do you want to not be afraid of whoever's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is. God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What is the purpose of government? The purpose of government is to exact God's judgment here on this world. 
In Genesis 9, verse 6, uh, we read that God says, Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed, for man is made in the image of God. God says that he institutes that if you commit a crime against man, man has the authority to enact judgment and justice against you. And the institution, the vessel that God has established to enact that judgment is the government. Whatever government. Paul doesn't specify what type of government is God's avenger. What type of government is God's servant for your good? Democratic, communistic, totalitarian, God doesn't care. Paul doesn't care. They're all put in place to be a servant for our good by God. Yes, some systems of government definitely seem to work better than others. But that isn't the point here. Judgment on this world is enacted by the government according to God's wisdom. Without some form of governance, it becomes harder to protect those most vulnerable in society. And it's easier for evil people as described in the Old Testament, to take advantage of the vulnerable. Um, and the aspect of government then that Paul draws attention to is not humanitarian. It is judgment. Um, bear with me, sorry. Paul says that the upright have nothing to fear from the government. Instead, the government is there for their good. They are there to commend the good decisions of its citizens and to call into account wrongdoers. Uh, Paul doesn't say that, um, um, again, any form of, of government works best. He simply says that all governments, all rulers are instituted by God. And therefore, for that reason, we as believers are to be subject to our governments. The authorities put in place by God above us. Um, uh, again, the footnote. We are called to submit to government so long as government does not call us to abandon God. We are not called to be a living sacrifice for our government. That honour belongs to God and God alone. We are told to be subject to government as so far as they don't call us to sin. But if they do call us to sin, then dear believer, you stand up for your faith and the time comes for them to exercise their unlawful uh, disgraceful judgment on you for your faith in Christ it is not for us even in that moment to try and revolt against our government look at the example of Christ Un most unlawful uh, uh, persecution ever most unlawful exercise of authority ever most unjust exercise of authority ever. Men who were cowards and self-righteous putting the Son of God on the cross. Christ only ever pointed to his identity. He never slandered those in power. 
Paul never slandered those in power. Paul never encouraged. Christ never encouraged. Peter never encouraged uh, people to revolt against their government. But just like Romans 12, uh, 14 to 20, Romans 13, 1 to 7 is a call to faith in God. Paul was not being naive to his situation and his challenge to Christians is not to be naive or to lay low and cover our heads. After all, Paul was writing from a prison and Paul boldly proclaimed his case before Caesar that he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Paul was urging believers, urging you and me to put our faith in God. Now, there is a difference between calling out the injustice and the evil in a government as uh, John the Baptist boldly demonstrated. Jesus' cousin who called out one of the rulers in his time for marrying his brother's sister. A disgraceful act. Um, And he paid the ultimate price by having his head chopped off. There is nothing wrong with pointing out evil within government. But Paul, John the Baptist, still subjected themselves to it. One of the most uh, direct examples of this is mentioned here uh, when Paul mentions mentions taxes. Because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes who owe to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. Honour your government. Do not encourage others to dishonour your government. Pay respect to your rulers. Pay respect to those who are in charge of your infrastructure, of your roads, of managing your re- or, 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 Our country's resources do not think for a moment that it is an easy task. Do not think for a moment that it is an easy task to manage uh, this COVID situation. Be subject to your government. As Christians, we are called to be the most stand-up citizens of our nation. To be the most peaceable people in our community. Not returning evil for evil. And not encouraging disdain and rebellion towards our government, but entrusting all things to God who, one, judges justly, and two, establishes all rule and authority in this world. Of course, there is concern as to how the Australian government is dealing with COVID. Uh, Dear brother, dear sister, as far as it is with you, live peaceably. Um... If your work environment requires you to get tested if you go somewhere, get tested. Uh, I've had to do that several times in Moree uh, to try and live peaceably with my work community. I have not been the best at it. Uh, I, I have struggled very much with this COVID. And these words have been an incredible conviction to me. So I come at you from a place of humility, knowing that I have struggled with this as much as anyone. This is God's call to me to change the way I act. To uh, adhere to the laws our government has put in place. 
Things are concerning. Things are worrying. There is fear mongering coming from every which way. Um, but it is not our place to disparage our governing authorities because we disagree with them on bases that are not biblical. Um, let us encourage our governing superiors. What are ways that we can um, act practical applications of Romans 13? One to um, uh, one to so one to one to seven. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them sincerely. Uh, our church here is enacting uh, eight days of prayer and fasting uh, for those in charge of our education system because we have an education program that some people in our church want to push forward. And we as a congregation are praying together that it can go forward. Pray for your leaders. Talk to God who is the one who instituted them in the first place. Don't encourage others to harbor malice or anger towards your government and don't do it yourself. Pay your taxes. Christ said it himself. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And at the end of the day, give to God what is God's. We are God's living sacrifice. Let us live each day dying to ourselves, loving our persecutors, submitting to our government authorities, that we may live peaceably in this world and have as many opportunities to share the gospel with those around us. It may not seem spiritual to submit to government. It may not seem so spiritual to pay your taxes, but it honors God when we do these things. Pay attention to the politics in your area. Pay enough attention that you know who to vote for uh, when the time comes, which candidates to support. But at the end of the day, dear brother, dear sister, remember that God has established Christ as ruler of all, as a judge of all. In light of these present mercies, let us live our lives as a living sacrifice. Let us answer the call to come and die for Jesus each day by surrendering ourselves to him in our interactions with our government and our interactions with those around us. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you as well as a challenge. Um, and I apologize if it's gone uh, a bit over time. Um, but I love you all dearly. And uh, Laura and I are praying for you as you deal with uh, the, the difficult COVID situation that you are now in. Um, take care and God bless. And we uh, look forward to seeing you someday soon.